Hello, and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson bringing to you this week news from the United States, Indonesia, Argentina, Germany, and a see you in hell from Brazil. I'm going to start out with the United States. Donald Trump has said on Truth Social, which is this sort of like proprietary Twitter alternative on Truth Social, he has said that he might want to, quote, terminate the Constitution because of the fact that, you know, as he continues to claim, the 2020 presidential election was stolen from him and the 2022 midterm elections were also, quote unquote, stolen from a lot of his supporters. This has been making some rounds, you know, this claim, people saying, oh, you need to condemn it, and, you know, people aren't condemning it as much as they're supposed to. Honestly, I think that this is worth noting because this is precisely the kind of incendiary remark that Trump got a lot of press for back in the 2015 to 2020 era while he was running for president the first time and while he was the president. And this is like pretty lackluster in terms of his ability to control the media narrative. This is an indication that he is losing ground. Speaking of Trump losing ground, the Trump Organization, which is the umbrella company that runs a lot of the businesses that the Trump family owns, uh, has been found guilty of tax fraud. It's going to be fined up to $1.6 million, which honestly is pretty tiny compared to the worth of this company. There are questions partly about how much Trump knew about this tax fraud and who exactly is going to face the consequences. Currently, it's basically their internal auditor you know, accountant person, and it's very unlikely that any of the members of the Trump family are going to face further consequences. Additionally, the Trump organization and Trump himself have been found to have been hiding more classified documents, this time in a storage facility, which also contained apparently katanas and, you know, wrestling belts because of Trump's appearances on the WWE in further news in the United States, neo-Nazi Matthew Mayer, uh, 22 years old, who was arrested a while ago for planning to attack a synagogue in New York. Uh, he, remember, he was found with a gun, uh, with various other weapons. Uh, he and an accomplice were arrested in New York's Central Station. He is now out on bond. Again, this is a person who had violent plans and knew how to get guns and had guns and, you know, has other military style equipment. He is out on bond because I guess the judge wanted to give him bond. So now he's out. And yeah, speaking of anti-Semitic attacks in the United States, there's more to say about the yay story. Now I reported about this last week on my last week episode. There have been some developments since then, namely on the day that last week's episode came out on December the 1st. Ye appeared again on a very popular right-wing program, this time on InfoWars, where he openly said, I like Hitler, and uh, did like open Nazi apologia, open anti-Semitism. A lot of his anti-Semitism was specifically expressed toward the Israeli politician Benjamin Netanyahu, whom Ye mocked with a net and a bottle of the Yahoo chocolate drink. He did all of this while appearing in a gimp mask and um, sometimes using fake cartoonish voices. Now, as the person that I was speaking with on Tuesday, Ben Lorber, said this is partly an indication that this person is clearly not in his best mental situation. He's clearly unwell in some capacity. 
However, it is also in keeping with the politics that Ye has expressed, not just in the last year, but throughout pretty much the last several years of his life. He's been an out Trump supporter for approximately five years at this point. He has been an out kind of white supremacist anti-Semite for quite some time. And uh, this is just this is just him keeping along with this. One of the most interesting aspects of his appearance on InfoWars was that Alex Jones, the host of InfoWars, and you know, somebody who now owes $1 billion to the families of the victims of the Sandy Hook massacre for his claiming that this massacre didn't occur and that it was some sort of Jewish fabrication. He even thought that Ye's comments were a little bit too far. You know, he was trying to pull back on the I like Hitler stuff. Ye refused and just says like, I like Hitler. I think Hitler's a good person. That's that's just what Ye said. There's some other interesting inside baseball stuff about this, especially pertaining to the coalition of the extreme right that Ye seems to be trying to insert himself into. Specifically, this involves his now former advisor, Milo Yiannopoulos. As I talked about last week, Milo Yiannopoulos is a feat, you know, he's a person who is really important in the 2015 to 2017, 2018 alt-right. He got canceled within the alt-right because of his apologia for pedophilia, because he supported pedophilia, and also because the alt-right was moving away from acceptance of homosexuality. Yiannopoulos rebranded himself as a sort of born-again Christian and born-again heterosexual, and has apparently up until very recently been working with Ye as a sort of political advisor. He is now out of the would-be Ye presidential campaign. He was instrumental on getting Ye and Nick Fuentes to Mar-a-Lago and to Infowars, but he had already been sidelined by the time that they were there. Recall that he was not at Mar-a-Lago. He was not on Infowars, despite the fact that he has appeared on Infowars several times before alone. Uh, this means that Yiannopoulos is out, and apparently Fuentes is in. This is, in some senses, more disturbing, because frankly, Nick Fuentes is a much better political operative than Milo Yiannopoulos is. He's had his hand on the pulse of the right wing and, you know, where the right wing is moving for some time, although it seems as if openly associating with people who, like, just say that fascism is good is probably a misstep. However, this hasn't prevented Ye from continuing to appear on pretty major right-wing media events, major right-wing media organizations in the last week. For example, he appeared on another podcast run by Gavin McGinnis, that is the person who founded the Proud Boys, still today one of the largest fascist organizations in the country. Apparently, the Nazi stuff really didn't turn off Gavin McGinnis. You know, he still wanted Ye to appear on the podcast. There, Ye was a little bit more reserved and talked sort of more generally in the fascist theocracy stuff, you know, saying that, like, people who aren't Christians shouldn't be allowed to be in the United States or shouldn't be allowed to hold public office, stuff like that. That might be the more, like, intended direction that Fuentes wants Ye's messaging to go, just openly calling for a Christian theocratic government in the United States. Moving beyond the realm of rhetorical violence toward real lived violence, there have been several attacks and demonstrations in multiple stakes on drag events and other queer events in the United States. For example, this weekend, 50 Proud Boys attended a Columbus, Ohio drag event trying to disrupt it. They were there along with 30 members of the Patriot Front, another far right wing, you know, fascist paramilitary organization, as well as 50 people wearing White Lives Matter shirts. These are the shirts that Ye himself was trying to promote and trying to get people to wear. 
All of their messaging and their slogans were about quote unquote groomers, which this, this is the claim that these people make about queer people. The claim is that queer people are grooming children uh, sexually. That's their claim and that that's what they think that drag events need to be prevented because of. There were other attacks and demonstrations at queer events and drag events in Lakeland, Florida, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and there were also disruptions at queer events in Moore County, North Carolina. Additionally, this week, Moore County, North Carolina saw an intentional disruption of its power grid, which has left tens of thousands of people without power potentially for as much as a week. This disruption of the power grid was the result of firing on a, you know, power distribution center. You know, if you've ever driven past one of those like big fields of, you know, gray capacitors and things like that, this this is the kind of structure we're talking about. These attacks were, as I said, done with firearms, with, with automatic weapons. And it is looking increasingly like the motivations behind the attackers who are still under investigation. There have still yet to be any arrests in these attacks, but it's looking like the motivations behind these attacks are deeply connected with this anti-queer politics, with the people who have been organizing these attacks on queer events and drag events. There's going to be more evidence about this coming out as the law enforcement continues to investigate this. I'm recording this the evening of Wednesday the 7th, so if more information about this surfaces in the meantime, then I will report about it next week. Moving on to international news, there's been an expansion of the Indonesian criminal code. Sex outside of marriage is now illegal in Indonesia, which also means because Indonesia does not recognize any type of queer marriage, it also means any non-heterosexual sex is now permanently illegal in Indonesia. Additionally, Indonesia has expanded its blasphemy laws. Indonesia has the largest Muslim population of any country in the world. It is also now illegal to criticize the president and many other politicians in Indonesia. This is an example of serious right-wing political backsliding for a country that had previously been one of the more functional quasi-democracies in the region. In Argentina, the vice president of Argentina, Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner, has been formally charged with fraud. She now faces up to six years in prison because of money laundering, essentially, money laundering of $1 billion. The tribunal that found her guilty and that made the sentence said that she funneled this money to an ally of hers when she was the president back in the late 2000s, early 2010s, and also during the presidency of her husband, Nestor Kirchner. This is a complicated scenario because A, yeah, I mean, basically she did it like in the same way that Lula did in fact commit large-scale corruption in Brazil, like Lava Jato was real, this corruption scandal also real. But it is also an example of something that has come to be called in Latin America, lawfare, quote-unquote. The idea is that the opponents of progressive or populist regimes use whatever legal means they have available to them, like suits like this, major criminal cases that discriminatorily address the corruption that leftist candidates participate in as opposed to right-wing candidates in order to topple left-wing and populist regimes. This means that the hopes and dreams of a lot of people, millions of people who are directly tied to these leftist populist candidates can get stymied by the behavior of these leftist candidates. Uh, it's really a no-win situation. It's honestly um, quite awful. And yeah, you know, concluding on an even worse note, in Germany, there was a major coup attempt that was thwarted 
by the German military police and the state police this week. 25 people have been arrested. Most of them are members of a network that is called the Reichsburger, uh, which essentially translates to citizens of the Reich. Reich means like state or government in German. This is something like a German sovereign citizens organization. You know, the people who think that like contemporary politics and contemporary governments are all illegitimate, that they aren't real, and that the real government is one that is comprised of citizens who are following some amalgamation of like medieval and Roman law or whatever. You know, it's complete nonsense. These people are also associated with the German branches of the QAnon conspiracy theory network, along with some neo-Nazis and also a bunch of monarchists. This was a massive raid by the German law enforcement branches that covered the entirety of Germany and also involved like thousands and thousands of officers. Apparently, the plan that was thwarted was to depose the leaders of the German state and install somebody whom they call Prince Heinrich XIII, who is a member of the former nobility in Germany as the king. Now, remember, Germany has not been a monarchy for over 100 years, and the so-called Prince Heinrich XIII was himself, he's not even a member of the Royal House of Germany, which is the Holzenhollerns. Their plan, the plan of these golpistas, of these coup plotter people, uh, was to kidnap and deport or kill over a dozen politicians, uh, including the Chancellor of Germany. Their plan involved sabotaging the electrical grid, just like the sabotaging of the electrical grid in North Carolina. They had already purchased satellite phones, which they intended to use to communicate after their sabotaging of the electoral grid. And they were going to rise up and rely on the idea that other people would rise up violently to disrupt order. Among the places that were raided by law enforcement, meaning that they think that there were coup plotters there, are military installations, meaning that this investigation involves investigating German military officials and potentially soldiers and their interest in a coup that was going to overthrow the democratic government of Germany. Also involved in this plot is a politician. Uh, up until last year, a sitting member of the German par parliament. His name is Malsad Winkermann, and he is a member of, well, yeah, you guessed it, the extreme right-wing party in Germany, a party whose name translates into English as Alternative for Germany. In German, it is the AFD party. Malsak Winkermann's plan was to be the justice minister in this new government because, of course, they had already parceled out who would be the leaders of their new state. We're going to get more and more details about this as these prosecutions eventually go under, get underway and as we learn more about the people who they're investigating. But this is the culmination, or at least, unfortunately, just the most recent culmination of a series of raids and activities that are targeting the German right wing because the German right wing is growing and it is increasingly powerful. And it's not just in the AFD, you know, the extreme right wing of parliament. It's also these sort of like extra legal, actually disturbingly violent paramilitary organizations that are operative in Germany today. I'm going to close out this episode like I do every week with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right wing figures in history. This week, I'm talking about Plinio Salgado, who is the founder of Brazil's biggest fascist organization, the Brazilian Integralist Action. Salgado was born in a small town in the state of Sao Paulo in 1895. He was precocious and had a lot of early activity in politics. His first wife died relatively young, which inspired Salgado to turn towards religion and Catholic theology for solace. He ended up joining other journalists in Sao Paulo, where he became a political commentator, a position that he maintained throughout the remainder of his life. 
Initially, he supported a politician named Prestius against the would-be president of Brazil, Getulio Vargas. Then Vargas staged a coup in 1930 because he had lost against Prestius, and Salgado uh, had to go to Europe to try to like escape the political turmoil. This was 1930, however, and so what did the extremely intellectual but disaffected and downwardly mobile middle-class Brazilian find of interest in Europe? Well, fascism. He became enamored of fascism, like a lot of other intellectuals of the time, and went back to Brazil and founded the Brazilian Integralist Action, which would become Brazil's largest fascist organization in the 1930s and 40s. The Integralists had a lot of growth throughout the middle and classes of Brazil, which is standard for most political fascist parties. Initially, they were allies of the Vargas administration, but by the end of the 1930s, Vargas did not need them anymore to crack any heads. You know, his, his establishment was pretty solid. They and other fascist and right-wing and just kind of like general political organizations were outlawed by the late 30s. Salgado had to go back to Europe, this time for seven years in exile in Portugal. He comes back in 1945 after Getulio Vargas is ousted in a coup, and he presents himself as a sort of like more moderate right-wing candidate, which is the position that he held until his death. He returns to Congress as a right-wing sort of like reformist anti-establishment figure, although he does support military coups when they happen. He remains in politics until his death on the 9th of December, 1975. So, Daniel Salgado, we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. If you really like the podcast, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism spelled out on all one word. That's also where you can reach me on Gmail, 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at hist of the right. That's H-I-S-T of the right and fascism 15. All right. Thanks. And I'll get you another episode on Tuesday of next week. Thank <laughs> you.